Last Sunday morning, uh, I got a thank you note uh, with sincere appreciation from a man named Guansu Lee. Uh, I have a picture here of me and Guansu. That was last Sunday morning. We took that right down here. And uh, Guansu has been part of Calvary Church for the past three years. He was studying at Calvin uh, in New Testament, and he's graduated and he's headed to the country of Scotland. And he's going to go to St. Andrews and continue studying to serve the Lord. And he gave me a thank you note, but it's actually a thank you note for the whole church. So I thought I'd read you part of what he wrote. Uh, this is from Guansu. He says, I have enjoyed a lot. Uh, sorry, I've enjoyed a lot of blessings from Calvary Church for the last three years. The staff has done their best to plan every worship service and other programs. The prayer garden is like a haven for my soul. When I go there to pray after worship services, I feel peace of mind. I was able to make good friendships as part of the Korean community at Calvary. They are my precious friends. I received a lot of support from the food pantry. Thank you for your understanding and generous support. I have learned how Calvary works through the pastor's meetings. Uh, we, have a, we have meetings once a month for uh, Korean pastors who are here and other pastors from other parts of the world just to talk about the church and encourage one another. These meetings challenge me. Before leaving this country, I would like to express my gratitude to all of Calvary Church. So that's Guansu saying thank you uh, to all of us. And, you know what, I'm super proud of this church. Uh, I've been here for a long time and I see how much God is at work here helping make us more hospitable, more welcoming. And some of us know personally how difficult it is to move to another country to go to school. Uh, and especially I have to think it's gotta be incredibly difficult when there's a language barrier. And the question that comes to mind as I read uh, this thank you note is why would this church do these things for Guansu, like why would we go through this effort, a food pantry, have someone on staff uh, from uh, South Korea to here to pastor and help those who are part of the Korean community that's here? Uh, why all this effort to have a prayer garden to put in to plan these worship services? Well, there's lots of reasons, valid good reasons for why we should do these kinds of things. Uh, one, God tells us to. <laughs> Another one is that many of us have experienced the grace of God uh, through this church and other churches who are serving and welcoming and being hospitable and helping us in the midst of difficulties and struggles. Uh, Jesus also tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And in reality, we should be writing him a thank you note. We should be thanking him for the opportunity to be able to come alongside and to serve him. Uh, that is a gift from the Lord. Those are all very important, very valid, very biblical, very godly reasons for why we as a church should be walking alongside of people like Guansu in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life. But let me offer one more reason, not to invalidate the rest of those, but to add to them as to why we should be doing these kinds of things. And it's this. We're obligated to we're on the hook to. Meaning, Guansu has become a member of this church. He said he wanted to join with us and we accepted him. He's a part of this church. 
which means we are not free to look the other direction when he goes through troubles and difficulties. We're not free to ignore the fact uh, that it's difficult to be in a foreign country. We're not free to ignore the fact that trying to be a student, paying tuition, all of those things can be an expensive proposition. And we're obligated to do something to help him, to bless him in the midst of these trials and difficulties. We can't make them all go away but we can walk alongside of him and love him and encourage him. Where do I get this idea that we're somehow obligated to do this? Well, it comes in part from an Old Testament Hebrew word pronounced geal, which we often translate with the English word redeem. And the Old Testament idea of redemption especially is that there is an obligation amongst close relations and family members to care for one another. You might remember the story of Ruth and Boaz. You might be familiar with that story. That word for redeem is used in that story. It's translated kinsman redeemer. And the idea there is Boaz is not free to ignore Ruth's suffering. He's on the hook to do something about it. She needs a job. She needs food. She needs help taking care of her mother-in-law. Boaz is her relative. He needs to do something. He's obligated to help. Now, it's not just an Old Testament idea. The New Testament's pretty clear about this as well. For example, it says that if anyone is a widow and has believing children, those children are on the hook to help. They're on the hook to help financially uh, for their mother or for their grandmother. They're not free to turn a blind eye. God says if any one of us who are Christians ignore our family, it's worse than being an unbeliever. God says, look, you're obligated to do something to the people that you are connected with, that you are related to, that you are in community with. We cannot simply say in the midst of suffering and difficulty, be warm and be fed, and I hope it works out okay for you. Now, if that's true of us in our relationships with one another, that we are obligated to help, how much more is that true of God's relationship with us? We're going through the book of Titus, and in Titus we are told that we need to teach sound doctrine. We need to teach truth. And so we're in a bit of a mini-series in the larger topical series that we're doing on sound doctrine, and we've been going through for the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago we talked about creation. Last week we talked about election, that God chooses and calls us and we respond and we become part of God's family. This week we're talking about this concept of redemption, that God has an obligation to help us in the midst of our sufferings and difficulties of life. Now please pay close attention to the logic of how these topics lay out. We're doing it this way because this is kind of how they roll out thematically in the scriptures. We began in Genesis with the idea of creation, that because God created us, he loves us. Every single human being knit together in our mother's wombs, God loves each and every one of us. After creation, 
We looked last week at the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and this idea of election, that God reaches out to us because he loves us. He reaches out to us and offers to make us part of his family, to make us sons and daughters of God. And when we by faith respond and say, yes, I agree to that offer, we join God's family. Now this week, What we come to understand is because for those of us who by faith have accepted Jesus, we are part of God's family. Because that's true, God is obligated to help us in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life. That truth is called redemption. God's working for, fighting for, coming alongside of us and the trials and troubles of life. That's what we'd like to talk about this morning. So I'd like to invite you to please take a Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the rack in front of you. And we're going to look at the most important redemption story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 55. Page 55, Exodus chapter 14. Now, as I said, these play out thematically in the Bible. And so we started two weeks ago in Genesis with creation, the very first page of the Bible. Then we talked about election with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We've now fast-forwarded 400-some years from the time of Abraham. God called Abraham. Abraham said yes. Abraham became connected to God in a unique way. Now, 400-some years later, Abraham's physical descendants, the Jewish people, are in captivity, slavery in Egypt. And in the midst of their suffering and their slavery and their misery, they cry out to God. And God hears their cries of pain and difficulty and he sets about to help them, to rescue them. Now the whole book of Exodus is a redemption story and there are stories in Exodus about God performing miraculous plagues. There's a story about God doing Passover. But we are going to look at the most powerful of the redemption stories. And that is after God basically twists Pharaoh's arm and says, you're going to let my people go. Pharaoh releases the Israelites to leave Egypt free and clear. After they leave, masses of them leave. Pharaoh hardens his heart again, changes his mind and says, why should we let all those people leave? And he summons the armies of Egypt the chariots and the armed forces, and he says, we're going to pursue them and we're going to slaughter them in the wilderness. We pick up the story right at the edge of the Red Sea. Verse number 10. As Pharaoh approached, so the Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea. Here comes the most powerful armed forces on the planet at the time. There were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now look at Moses' response. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And how does Moses know that God is going to fight for them? Because he's obligated to. God is not allowed to turn a blind eye to their troubles. God is not allowed to abandon them to death. He is not allowed to forsake them. He promised them, I will never leave you or forsake you. He cannot ignore their struggles. This is what we call redemption. Now the word redemption is not used in these verses, but in Exodus 15, which is the song of Moses, we actually sang a portion of it earlier, it says this about this story. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. That's our word. The word says God has a relationship with these people. He must fight for them, work for them, bless them, come alongside of them in the midst of their trouble and their difficulty. It's said beautifully, not only in Exodus 14, but also in another passage, Isaiah 43. We looked at this passage last year. Maybe you'll remember these gorgeous words. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you I have summoned you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do you hear in there themes about creation and election and redemption? This is God's solemn promise and oath. Not that we will never go through trouble. We're going to. Rivers, waters, fires. But the sworn oath of God is that I will not abandon you. I will be with you. I will take care of you. Though you go through difficult times, they will not overwhelm you because I am with you. This is the idea of redemption. God is obligated. Now he wants to as well, but he's obligated to help us. Now redemption is the theme in the Bible that is most closely connected to the very often repeated command, do not be afraid. Did you hear it in Exodus 14? Don't be afraid. Do you hear it in Isaiah 43? Do not fear. The reason you and I do not fear is because of redemption. 
Not because of creation or because of election. It works this way. Because God created us, he loves us. Because he loves us, he called us to be his children. When we respond by faith, redemption kicks in and now God is obligated to help us. Therefore, we don't have anything to fear. There is no situation that you or I could ever get into that God would not be with us through. God will fight for us in every situation. God is always at work. God is working all things together for our good. This is the truth of redemption. That's why God can say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Now the question for us is, in what particular situations today is God with us? How is God working to redeem situations that we're in today? Well, the list is infinite, but I have six for you that I'd like to share with you. Six ways that God is at work today fighting for us, working for us. And these six I picked uh, just to remind us of the truth that God is with us today. Number one, God is fighting for us in the most important battle of all against the greatest enemy of humanity, meaning God is fighting for us in the face of death. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, God's grace has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And what's this next phrase say? Who has destroyed death and has brought life and what? Immortality to light through the gospel. This past Monday night, here in this sanctuary, I experienced what I would consider to be one of the most powerful, most miraculous events of my life. Josh mentioned it earlier. We prayed for it last week. Many of you have been praying. There was a funeral service held here for a man named Matt Fouch. Uh, he was a teacher at East Grand Rapids in the middle school. Matt's somebody that a couple of years ago, I do an evangelistic Bible study. And uh, we had invited Matt to come. He had no interest. <laughs> but one day, as only the Lord can do, we were meeting at his dad's house. Uh, his dad's a part of this church and had come to faith and was part of the Bible study. And as only God can do it, we were meeting at uh, Jerry's house and the power went out in certain portions of East Grand Rapids, but not where we were. Well, lo and behold, God knocked the power out at Matt's house and having no idea there was Bible study at his dad's house, he and his wife and three children showed up to enjoy the power or the, the blessings of electricity. What he didn't know was there wasn't a lot of space for him there, so he had to come and join the Bible study. So he sat through a Bible study and got more than just electricity. He got to hear God's word. And so he didn't say anything. He just kind of sat there and I thought, well, that kind of went over like a lead balloon. Like that didn't seem to really resonate. But you know what it did? It was a reminder to me and to others. 
Let's keep, let's pray for him. Let's pray more earnestly for him. And so we started praying more earnestly uh, for Matt uh, that he would come to faith. About 18 months ago, he got diagnosed with the cancer that ultimately took his life. He's 45 years old when he passed away. When he got diagnosed with cancer, uh, Lisa and I went to visit him. Uh, sorry, we, he and his wife came over to our house and we told them about Jesus. And we talked about Psalm 23 and about how God wanted to walk with them through this. Matt started coming to Bible study more regularly. Uh, his wife, Jill, and Matt and their three kids started attending New Heart Church, uh, the, plant, the church that we planted in East Grand Rapids. Somewhere along the way, Jill and Matt came to faith. And on Monday night, we had a funeral service here, a celebration for his life. And it was the craziest thing. I'm so proud of this church. All the prayers and work and effort through Grace Beyond to have a kind of place where we could hold something like that. We had a tailgate in the gathering place and celebrated Matt's life. But the most powerful thing that happened here was up here from this platform to about 1,500, maybe 1,600, maybe 1,700 people from East Grand Rapids, uh, many of them from East Grand Rapids, many of whom never heard the gospel before, got to hear that what rescued Matt from death was Jesus. That that whole time, in the midst of all of that stuff, God had been fighting for him and rescuing him. And his wife, Jill, who had gotten baptized at New Heart just this past Easter, stood up here on Monday night and did one of the most courageous things I've ever seen anybody do. So number one, it's pretty difficult for a wife at a funeral to get up in the midst of her own grief and her own suffering She's got a senior in high school, a freshman in high school, and a seventh grader. And she stands up in front of all, she also is a teacher at the middle school, all of her coworkers, students, administrators, the school board moved their meeting so they could all be here. And in front of all of these people, she declared her faith in Jesus. And she talked about the fact that they tried to fight this fight against cancer using that same energy that Matt had as a football coach and that same energy he brought, they both brought to the classroom and that sort of community spirit and drive. But in the end, death is too much. But not for God. And she just told the story that in the middle of their fight, Jesus came and redeemed them and rescued them and carried them through. This is the promise of God. He did not abandon Matt. When Matt accepted God's invitation to be part of his family, God did not abandon him. I went and saw Matt two weeks before he died in the hospital. And when I went there, I go, Lord gave me a specific passage to share with him. And I was like, Matt, I just want to talk through one more time. What's going to happen when you die? He knew at that point he was dying. And we're just waiting. This is what's going to happen, Matt. Because you have accepted Jesus, the moment that you die, Jesus is going to be there with you. And he's going to take your soul safely to heaven with him. This body is going to be placed in the ground. It was actually cremated. Your soul will be with Jesus until Jesus himself returns to this earth. He will bring your soul with him. You will come with him. He will raise that body from the ground and that dust, 
Just like he did with Adam, he will recreate that dust into this body that we know that we will recognize. He will unite your soul with your body and you will experience resurrection life on this earth, this same planet, same Reed's Lake, same Lake Michigan, same planet that you're on. You will experience resurrection, resurrected life with this Jesus. I said, Matt, do you believe this? He said, I do believe that. And I watched a man who at 45 years old, after this fight with cancer, should have been destroyed. I watched him at peace, at peace with death. He said to his wife right before he died, he said, Jill, I'm gonna be okay. That's God. That's God fighting for him. That's God at work. That is God doing what only God can do. And even afterwards, when I asked Jill, I was like, how in the world did you do that? Did you get up and have the strength to do that? She said, when I was up, when I was up here, I just felt like there was somebody with me holding me up. God will not abandon us either ourselves to death or when we face death in someone we love, he will be with us. Number two, God is fighting for us against our own passions, cravings, and sins. Titus 3.3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. All of us in this room, if we're honest, know the enslaving power of sin, whether that's the enslaving power of addiction to food, pornography, sex, money, addiction to success, the inability to overcome propensity towards anger or anxiety, whatever it may be, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the power that alcohol can have in our lives. We know the power that gossip can have in our lives. We can feel the fact that I would like to be a different person, but I simply cannot change who I am. God says, don't be afraid. I'm fighting for you. Don't be afraid, I'm at work. Don't be afraid, these sins will not be your master. Romans chapter six, verse 14. Sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but under God's grace. Now it takes a long time to see it work itself out. But at some point, we get to see evidence. God's at work. He's at work changing us. He's at work fighting against those passions and those cravings that we have no power against. But he's redeeming us. Number three, God is fighting for us in the midst of sickness and trouble. James chapter five, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Now watch this phrase and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now we do this as elders every Tuesday. We also do it by appointment. Uh, People come and say, would you pray over me? I'm in the midst of sickness. I'm in the midst of trouble. And we take a little vial of oil and we anoint them on the forehead with oil. 
Now, why do we do that? Well, it says to do that. Why does it say to do that? It's not because there's any magic in the oil. Why we're anointing people with oil is because in the Old Testament, everything that got anointed with oil was the stuff that belonged to God. This was how you marked out, this is God's stuff. The tabernacle, the temple, the altar, you take everything. When it is set apart for God, you anoint it with oil. It's basically Jesus saying, this is mine. He's signing his name to it. When we anoint with oil, it's a reminder to God and to us, I belong to you. In other words, God, you're obligated to do something. You're on the hook, God. You cannot abandon me to this trouble or to this sickness. And it is a reminder to God, God, we need you to act. And it's a reminder to us, he will act. You belong to him. Now, we do this in this ceremony, but it's true whether or not you ever have anointed your head anointed with oil or not. If you have accepted the invitation by God to be part of his family, he is gladly obligated to help. He cannot, will not abandon you to sickness or to trouble. Number four, God is also fighting for us in the face of betrayal. In the face of betrayal. I can't remember what the next verse is. Romans 12, thank you. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Do you know what it's like to be betrayed? Maybe you're going through a painful divorce and someone who is close to you feels like you're just being ripped apart. Maybe at school, a formerly close friend has been at work to make your life more miserable. Revealed stuff about you on social media you didn't want anyone to know. Maybe at work, someone has been trying to undercut you. Maybe there are people spreading false rumors about you. Maybe you've experienced the pain of infidelity in marriage or otherwise. God is not free to turn a blind eye to our suffering. He says, leave it in my hands. I will fight for you. I will fight for vindication. I will fight for his version of vengeance. And I will fight for reconciliation and for confession. God promises to work in the midst of betrayal. Number five, God fights for us in the face of injustice. Also in James 5, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields or plowed your driveways are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of who? The Lord Almighty. There is systemic injustice in this world. There are unfair wages, there is racism, there is persecution, there is all sorts of injustice in the world and God's promise is he is on the hook to do something about it. Now we ask, well look, if he's on the hook, why doesn't he just eliminate all the injustice in the world? He will. 
when he returns. But until that point, because he is not willing for any to perish, he is holding off on returning, but he is still obligated in the midst of racism, in the midst of unfair wages, in the midst of persecution or whatever it may be, he is obligated to walk with us through it. And when we go through the fire, and it is fire, you will not be burned because God is with you. Sixth and finally, and I find this one to be the most fascinating to me. God fights for us against the effects of his own discipline in our lives. What do I mean? Second Timothy 2. If we disown him, he will also disown us. What that means is, is that if in our uh, opportunities to stand up for Jesus, we say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. If in our opportunities to obey Jesus, we say, forget that, I'm going my own direction. There is a sense in which God will separate himself from us. He will, he's like, look, if you want to step back from me, I will step back from you. And we can experience and do experience the discipline of God in our lives. Consider, for example, just if you lose your job, because of laziness and because of disorganization, that can be part of the discipline of God. Look, if you're going to refuse to do what I tell you to do, God steps back from us and we experience the discipline in our lives. But look at the very next phrase. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Because we remain his child, the minute that we confess, Lord, I should not have been lazy and disorganized, he immediately starts to work against the effects of the discipline he did. This is how powerful this theme of redemption is. God cannot not fight for us, even against the consequences of our own sin. He is always fighting for us. Now, the question that might be on your mind this morning, it's often on my mind. If God's fighting for us, if God's at work, why don't I see more happening? Why am I still in the midst of this? It feels like God has abandoned us. It feels like he's not fighting injustice. It feels like he's not present in the midst of sickness and trouble. You know who else felt that way and seemingly validly so? The Israelites. There is a large army bearing down on a bunch of farmers. They're going to get slaughtered and so they cannot see that God is a redeeming God. And so in the midst of it, they're saying to Moses, look, this is your fault. God's not showing up. It's the last hour and he's not here. To which Moses says, though our hearts may doubt and our eyes may not see, God will fight for us. You see, the thing of it is, God is redeemer, doesn't look like a redeemer until he redeems. And we think God is not present all the way up to the moment he reveals his presence. And the truth of the matter is we end up believing this by faith. We end up believing in the midst of the marriage struggles we're having, in the midst of the sickness that we're going through, in the midst of the racism we experience. 
we often have to believe by faith. He said he's a redeemer. He will not abandon me. The reason God says don't be afraid is not because the problems have all gone away. The reasons God says don't be afraid is because he says you can trust me. And so with Job, who in the midst of incredible suffering, who's lost his children, who's lost his, uh, has lost his money, he's lost his possessions, he's lost his honor, he's lost his own health. In the midst of that, when he is crying out, God, where are you? God, show up, do something. He says this statement that we hold on to. I know that my redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. And so all of us feel like the Israelites sometime. And what we need to hear is God speaking to us through his word saying, don't be afraid, I will fight for you. I know you cannot see me now, but I am at work. I know you do not understand what I am doing, but I am working behind the scenes. Listen to me, when I stood here on Monday night and I looked out at 1,600 people hearing the gospel for the first time, many of them, some maybe even here this morning, hearing the gospel for the first time, I thought, Lord, you never once abandoned this situation. Still not the way I wanted it to turn out. I still wish he was, Matt was still here. But I look and I say, there is no way anybody could accuse God of abandoning us in the midst of this. Amen. And so by faith, we say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I cannot see him now. My heart doubts. My eyes can't see. But by faith, I believe. And so if you've come here this morning in the midst of trouble, facing difficulties of death, whatever it may be, please hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what God's word says is, I am your redeemer. You have been created by God. If when God invited you into his family, you said yes, he has sworn an oath and it is impossible for him to lie. He will fight for you. He is fighting for you. He is working for you. He is involved. And your eyes will someday see what he's been up to. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.